learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. And we are live. All right. The grind of being a startup entrepreneur is riddled with rejection and heartache. It is often thought that you need the money before you can build your company, and that's not true. So the truth is there are many ways to self-fund when getting started, and today we're dissecting a case study of how one company utilized the gig economy to fuel their company growth. Today's quote, it's not a lack of resources that causes failure, it's the lack of resourcefulness that causes failure. Any idea who said that, Mr. Keith Rio? I actually do not. I'll give you a hint. Tony Robbins. <laughs> awesome. I'm Rick Gerard. Welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Our mission is to help entrepreneurs and hiring managers avoid costly hiring mistakes by identifying a specific problem and providing proven solutions to help your company win the right hire. We share insights from top performing rebel entrepreneurs, disruptors, and industry experts like our guest today, Mr. Keith Ryu. He is the founder and CEO of Fountain. Keith is quietly fueling the future of work. As CEO of Fountain, the Series A back hiring platform for hourly workers, the Forbes 30 under 30 member holds the keys to the secret to an engine of empowering the gig economy. Each month, Fountain processes nearly 1 million applicants and enables companies like Airbnb, Chick-fil-A, Uber, and Safeway to make over 130,000 hires. Is that month? You guys do 130,000 hires a month? Per month, yep. Wow, that's pretty impressive, which is what makes Keith, perfect guest for today's topic. Keith, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. So today we're going to discuss why utilizing the gig economy is a great option to get your company started. And then we're going to talk about how to fund your company through problem solving. So Keith, as we get started here, you know, you and I had a conversation, it's an interesting case study on how you were able to get your company off the ground by basically utilizing the gig economy to kind of fund to get yourself going. Walk me through the beginning story of how you guys got started, what your thought process was. So there's kind of two sides of the story and it's somewhat meta. Like the company itself right now, that fountain is powering is the gig economy space, but we actually found our beginning leverage in the gig space as well. And so I'll kind of start off by sharing how we got started and what kind of realizations and conversations led to the company that we're building today. And so, you know, the mission of this company really is to open opportunities for the global workforce. And the phrase open opportunities means a lot to us because when we first started this business, I was 22 years old. My co-founder at the time was 19. We both didn't come from an Ivy League background, both didn't have an engineering degree, both didn't know anybody in Silicon Valley and we moved out here. And so it wasn't a team that looked destined for a lot of great success. And certainly there's probably a lot more teams out there and entrepreneurs that kind of are in our bucket as well. And at the time, I was working on a different company slash project. I thought it was a company at the time, but we only had one paying customer paying us 50 bucks a month in the employee trading software space. And with that, I moved out to San Francisco and I was a self-taught engineer, so I could build very quick and dirty versions of the app, but I definitely needed some help. And so, first of all, I come from a pretty humble family background where both of my parents grew up from a single kind of parent household and kind of grew up poor to the sense, in the sense that my dad, you know, had his first banana when he was 26 years old because the fruit was luxury in Korea. But I'm still very thankful to them because when I first decided that I wanted to move out to San Francisco to make that startup happen, you know, I, I got a call from them and they said, 
hey, sorry, we're not in a position to give you more, but here's $5,000. Take this, move out there, and make sure you have no regrets. And so that you know, was supposed to last me for the year, but I quickly found out San Francisco is very expensive. And yeah, for the first year and a half, things were definitely not easy. That barely lasts you a month, right? Right, exactly. You know, I was living with a random 80-year-old lady in a one-bedroom apartment, very kind of moldy, in a government-subsidized area. And yeah, so that was kind of our budget. And, you know, when I moved out here, I was pitching that employee training software to a lot of companies that raise capital, basically saying, hey, we noticed you guys raise money. You're going to hire a lot of people soon. Can we help out with your employee training? And of course, we got a lot of no responses. And people that did respond basically said, no, we don't need help there. But there was a subset of new companies, particularly in the gig space, that came to us and said, well, we don't have any pain points in having to train our employees, but we have this other pain point around finding and hiring and managing this large contingent workforce. Here's the tools that we're using today. Here's why they don't work. And can you guys do X, Y, and Z? And initially, we're like, no, that's not really what we do. So we didn't really think too much about that. But there was an increasing number of these companies that kind of were pulling in, this, in that direction. But again, this was kind of like, you know, an idea or a thought in the back of our minds. We weren't really committed to that because, you know, we were so blinded on the project that we were working on at the time. So basically, people were feeding you their problems and saying, hey, look, we could use your help here. And so at what point did you actually recognize that, hey, maybe, maybe we should help them solve these problems and we can use that to fund our company? For sure. So this kind of goes back to how we started and how we leveraged our resources when, you know, on paper, we weren't, you know, an all-star team that could just go out and raise money. And we also didn't have the funds ourselves. So while I was working on that employee training software, I leveraged a lot of freelancers online. So, you know, for any complex features or bugs, I needed to leverage additional engineers. And we leveraged a platform called Upwork, which is a freelance marketplace. And there was one engineer in particular that was based in Germany. Her name was Nadia. And she was fantastic. And she costed us about $3,000 a month, which at the time was was huge, given that $5,000 was supposed to last us for the entire year. But the way that we financed that, and eventually financed the, the software that today is founded, is we listed ourselves on Upwork as well as a design consultant. And so we would get local coffee shops or restaurants to pay us about $2,000 to build them a simple landing page. And so we take that, we immediately go to themeforest.com, buy a $20 WordPress template, throw some images and content together. And then we would actually re-outress that again to WordPress developers that we found on Upwork as well for about 300 bucks to actually implement it. And so we'd make a margin of about $1,700 per project, take that, give to Nadia to then develop what's now Fountain. And so that's kind of the way that we initially financed the development. So she was doing development also for your clients as well? Was there a piece of that? Or were you guys just taking the design work and then effectively paying her with that? It's more the latter. So we reserved, we had multiple different engineers and contractors. You know, I think we had a team of about five different people for specific things because, you know, we only looped certain people in when we really needed them to kind of try to be cost efficient. But yeah, she was only for the fountain kind of software development side. So essentially, it was like project based bootstrapping solution is what you guys kind of came up with. Basically. Now, again, meanwhile, this, this, this is defined kind of the previous company, right? Onbard. 
And we're continuously pitching this idea to companies that raise capital. But during this period, it became clear with all these new tools available. So Upwork is where we found and communicated with a growing number of freelancers. Other communication tools like Zoom and Slack and others, it was pretty clear that First of all, there's a big fundamental shift in the way that people are working. There's a huge explosion in this online freelance community, remote workers. We were seeing the gig economy start to to expand as well. And this is around when Uber and Lyft were becoming mainstream. But it's pretty clear that with these new tools, it was much easier for people to plug in and plug out of different projects and really start to have this many-to-many relationship between the worker and the employer. And we, we benefited from that in the online world. And we saw that trend increasing at a rapid pace in the offline world with all these ride-sharing businesses, food delivery companies coming into market. When we asked ourselves, like, why now? Like, why is this now possible? You know, it's kind of the invention of, you know, the mobile phones, and I won't get too deep into that. And so we thought, okay, great. So that's, 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 that's new. A new technology is enabling this. And that's only going to increase. That was kind of our thesis. That's going to create a whole new set of challenges. And so we were kind of in the middle of this. And we saw and reaped the benefits in the online freelance world. And we saw that the offline freelance world, we're going to create some of the challenges that was underserved. So I want to get into kind of how you guys do this. And maybe if you can provide for us a little bit of a roadmap. But if you're just tuning in now, you're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm Rick Gerard. And for our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Hey, check out what we do at stridesearch.com. There you'll find additional content, resources, and information on how you might be able to book me for your next meeting or conference. Today, our guest is Keith Ryu. He is the founder and CEO of Fountain. And we're running through how he was able to kind of bootstrap his company using the gig economy and actually build a pretty thriving organization around it. So let's talk about how you were able to build that company, right? So break down for me like what your thought process was and how you approached it, right? So you guys, you were getting work and then you started noticing there was other problems to solve. Walk me through how you did that. Yeah, so the company officially, the current rendition of Fountain technically started in 2014, but I think it was a long series of different projects leading to another you know, project and different ideas. And so if I start from the very beginning, right? Back in college, I had some free time. I liked to learn things online. I wanted to get into computer programming. And the, as I was learning how to code, I built kind of a project for self-education for people like me. I like to learn things online, whether that's programming or online investing or how to play the acoustic guitar. But the problem that I was facing was that as a beginner, I didn't know what I didn't know. But I knew that there were tons of content out there, whether it's in the form of YouTube videos or blog posts or books or different kind of versions of that. And the initial idea was I wanted to create kind of an online curriculum for myself. So kind of like a Khan Academy, but leveraging in content. So I was probably working on that for a year or two. So you initially set out to do like an educational-based software? Correct. And it was more consumer-based too. And as I was pitching that to a lot of just people in general, small business owners came up to me and said, well, that's exactly how I train my own employees. You know, we're small, so we don't have the time or the resources to develop our own content. So we rely on existing articles that are out there, but it's a haphazard way for us to distribute and track, you know, whether our team actually completed that. And so can you guys pull certain features that allow me to track and assign some of these kind of tutorials, if you will. Were these people that you were reaching out to directly or were they people that were coming to you? We were just reaching out to a lot of people. How are you finding people? 
LinkedIn. So for instance, you know, we just type in HR kind of managers or COOs, CEOs of small businesses. We'd send them a lot of LinkedIn messages. And at this time, I think we had kind of a cheeky in some sense. I was still in college. So, you know, we would kind of phrase it in the sense of like, hey, you know, I'm a college student working on a company or this, this, this cool idea. I'd like to get 30 minutes just to walk you through it and get your advice. And surprisingly, people are... You were pulling out the college card. Good for you. Pull that college student card, which no longer works. But, you know, there's, you know, you just got to make the most out of your cards that you have at the time. And that led us to build the employee training software. And I was working on that for about two years. And again, this is during college. So it wasn't as urgent, you know, for us to, to generate revenue. And in the back of my mind, I was also kind of using that as a way to learn how to code in some sense. But at the end of the day, we only had one paying customer, as I mentioned earlier, at 50 bucks a month. So it wasn't really a company. But the two years that we were working on that and the process in which we we're pitching that idea to different companies led us to kind of uncover this other pain point that we initially hadn't really been thinking of. So you were talking to a lot of different companies and essentially it came up, hey, look, we really need help with the hiring piece. And then you decided to fund that by hiring yourself out as a designer. Correct. Yeah. And you know, if you're asking more about how the actual software, like how we got our first customers in some sense too, since we moved out here, I think we were fortunate to be in San Francisco where you know, if you just walk across the street, there's there's so many different companies and a lot of startups have been through the journey too. So, you know, they're empathetic. They, you know, they're more willing to at least spend 10, 15 minutes. They're much nicer to each other for sure. Exactly. You, you can approach them with a much underdeveloped software. And so we would basically go in there and just offer free consulting. We'll shadow you for half a day. We'll give you, Mr. or Mrs. Executive, kind of a write-up of the things that we're finding that we think are inefficient. And throughout that process, we'll use that knowledge to try to create wireframes and come to them and say, hey, like if we built this, would, would you use it? And they'll all be nice and stuff. You don't really know until you actually put it in the hands of them. And that's kind of how we first started. See, that, my friend, is being super resourceful to actually identify those things. A lot of people just don't have the gumption to go out and meet people and try and drum up business like that. So good for you guys. No, for sure. You know, as I mentioned earlier, it wasn't all smooth sailing. And some of our customers that may be listening might remember some of those early days where, you know, on wireframes and mockups, we had all these grand ideas, but the actual speed at which we can implement, you know, we carved out very specific portions. Like we started off just solving interview scheduling, for instance. Then from there, it went to how do we automate document signatures, reminders, through SMS and background checks, and then posting the different job boards, then e-learning and onboarding. So it, you know, it, it went, it started small and then we started to expand into the throughout the recruiting chain. So if you were to do it over again, I'm, I'm sure you learned a lot during that time frame. And let's say you were starting from ground zero again, knowing what you know, how would you structure the way in which you'd build your company at this point? If you started with that same $5,000? Right. That's a good question. I think for better or worse, at the time, I think ignorance was somewhat of a strength because we had nothing to lose. And, you know, some of my friends still ask me like, hey, you know, didn't you think it was risky? And at the time, you know, I didn't really think it was risky because I, like, first of all, I didn't really have much to lose. And I felt like if, if I didn't risk everything, startups are hard to begin with, no matter what. So if, if, you, if, if you don't give it everything, don't risk everything, then, you know, that's, that's an actually, inc you know, increased risk. So I think what we had going for us at the time was just like brute forcing it. 
Now, we had to restart it, I think we'd be a lot more intentional about you know, the, the market opportunity, you know, making sure that the software were building slightly scalable kind of ways. But again, if, if I look back at it, perhaps not thinking through a lot of those things early on allowed us to move at a much faster pace too. So you were identifying people how, by the way? How were you finding the companies? Just just through LinkedIn or were you guys following, you know, some sort of like uh, TechCrunch or something that posted, you know, funding? A little bit of both. But I think what we found was when we reach out to companies that were in TechCrunch that, you know, announced their fundraising, we would use those as triggers to say basically, hey, congratulations. And that probably means that you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And you know, hire a lot of employees and we can help with your employee training. So I think we use that as the main kind of trigger, but we definitely leverage LinkedIn a lot where we just send people connect requests and LinkedIn mails. So we're getting kind of close on time. What would be kind of two to three takeaways you can give the audience today? They, they can plug into their business, their startups to get them to a point where they can actually utilize the gig economy to actually build their company. I think it's, you know, be relentlessly resourceful, whatever you can think of or whatever you need help with. You know, I hear people saying that, hey, you know, I need a technical co-founder or I don't know where to find customers. I mean, you, you, the last question too that you asked, you know, you can find folks on Upwork that help with lead generation. You give them a criteria and they'll come back with a Excel spreadsheet of a thousand different emails that you can kind of reach out to as well. And so you can be resourceful. So I'd, I'd say that. And we have posters on our wall that represent each year. So I think if it's key takeaways, it's probably those things where, you know, tough times never last, but tough people always do. You know, pressure makes diamonds. And yeah, just be relentlessly resourceful, make something people want, as YC would say. And yeah, keep at it. So this is the way I'm kind of seeing your resourcefulness. I mean, you guys actually had the wherewithal to actually get in and do the hard work that most people aren't willing to do, right? You got in, you figured out who's who, you contacted them, and then you just followed up with them. Did you have like a system for getting people to respond back to you? No, I don't, I don't think we were like that systematic about it. It was just like whoever got back to you got back to you? Right. But at the same time, we'd always give them something. I mean, we'd be, you know, these are small tips. Like we'd make it really easy for them to say yes, right? You know, the, the tactical things like give them two options or I would send them a lot of screenshots actually. Hey, based on our conversation last time, we actually took action. Here are a couple screenshots of wireframes that we built based on that. And like, do you agree with this? Right. And so it gives them a little bit of ownership as well, even though we at the time might not have had technical abilities to execute on that and continuing to give them, you know, an easy way for them to say, yes, I like it. version A, version B, give them ownership, you know, offer them, buy them coffee, and, you know, show up. And so, yeah, I don't know if we had like a playbook necessarily, but, you know, we did everything we could. So doing all this work on spec, that takes a lot of faith. I mean, that's basically what you're doing. You're doing it for free and hoping that they'll purchase the service. In some sense, yes. We definitely were not sophisticated with how we priced and how we went to market. And so, but again, for better or worse, I think we didn't have to rush and kind of constantly question whether this could make money. I think we had the kind of somewhat fortunate luxury to really kind of focus on building the right product that you know we thought people would use. And with that, my friend, we're just about out of time for today's show. Keith, thanks for your time investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which members of our community can find you, your company, all that good stuff? Yeah, for sure. So company is fountain.com. So you spell fountain as, as you would. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. You can reach me at Keith at fountain.com or, you know, shoot me an invite on LinkedIn. Just mention that you saw me on the show. And, you know, given that we've found a lot of help through that network when we were starting off, you know, I, I think we're generally more open to you know, paying that forward as well.
Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Higher Power. A quick thanks to our team, our engineer, Christopher Decker, our producers, Andrea Ballin and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share. After all, this show's for you, and we just want to continue to make it better. Join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher, that's H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com, or you can drop me a line at Rick at stridesearch.com. Tune in next week. Our guest is going to be Joseph Hopkins. He's the founder and senior managing partner of the iPrestige Emerge Fund. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn Live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to recruitment success, Rick Gerard.